0: Hello and welcome to the podcast, Are We Nearly There Yet? My name's Professor Andrew Sherry and I'm interested in people's journeys to discover who they are and what they're made to do. We can all learn something from other people's stories, so join me on another adventure.
1: I always used to say it doesn't matter if you try something and don't like it, that's just as valuable as trying something and finding out you do like it.
0: Today, I'm talking to Mark Salisbury, who is a senior technical advisor in Nairo, the Nuclear Innovation and Research Office. Mark lives in Anglesey with his husband, Bob, and two cats. Welcome, Mark, and thank you for joining me.
1: No, thank you for having me.
0: So, Mark, you sort of grew up all over the place. I mean, your mum's from Yorkshire, North Yorkshire and the Dales. Your father was in the Air Force, and so you moved all around the UK and Germany, so tell me a little bit about what you were like, how you coped with moving around and moving schools and all of that sort of thing.
1: My earliest memories were, of course, growing up on air bases and um, with family in North Yorkshire, it was uh, very common. Uh, I think two things that some of my childhood would probably be sheep and um, aircraft. So uh, living next to the airbase and, uh, when i was, it was this will probably age me but when i was young it, um, we were seeing the last of the vulcans um, coming in and the the old lightning interceptors were just going out of service um, uh, phantom aircraft in germany so lots of memories very, very noisy to, to me that was normal but very noisy airfields um we did move around quite frequently so we were in germany twice i think um and uh too numerous to mention around the uk um so we my brother and i were actually sent off to boarding school at a. how old were we must have been about 11 or 12 um and uh that was on the a very small school in the welsh borders um so again lots of sheep just without the aircraft which was a little odd to get used to at first um but it was the the sort of school that um the sat- saturday afternoons you'd be out running five miles and back doesn't matter whether it's six feet of snow outside or whether it was bright sunshine you were there was a hill there and you were running up it
0: so it was character building was it
1: it certainly was and i think the um my friends that i'm in touch with uh, after goodness 20 20 odd years are, are, are all from school um all sort of similar experiences similar backgrounds i think
0: and at school was that when you first sort of started getting an interest for chemistry which is what you went on to do at, at university later
1: I, I was really interested in the sciences and it, it didn't really matter which one um i, I enjoyed all, all three of them uh just as much and um what do we call it when I was I think it went through several name changes at school, but design and technology, I, I, I don't know what it's it's called now, but we, we did woodwork metalwork and and plastics as well, which was quite quite interesting. But then sort
0: of straight after school, you you spent a year in industry uh, at Barclay Nuclear Laboratories. Um, how did that come about? and how did you um, how did you find that? That's quite a big sort of step, I guess.
1: It is. It was very. It, that, that was. A, it was a very interesting time. I, I I'd always thought and I'd always wanted to go into the air force and follow dad, grandfathers, and then well, great grandfathers. Although it was the army air corps when they were uh, when they were in it, um, but I wasn't able to go into the air force. Wasn't allowed to go into the air force at that time. Um, and I'd found out I was very slightly colourblind enough that maybe some of the jobs I'd have wanted to do maybe not uh, and then it all coalesced about the time they were bringing in and I'll get this wrong they were bringing in fees not grants so uh, I thought mm, I better earn some money before university as well so by sheer chance and I can't remember now where it, it came about there was a scheme called the year in industry which I think is now the engineering development trust um, I think they might have moved on from there now um, and they did a one-year scheme before university um where they would link you up with an an employer and you'd be employed for a year and they would do some development training with you so I went along it must have been Bristol I think it was getting the train from mid Wales from school uh with a couple of friends and uh I really didn't know much if anything about the nuclear industry or even the power industry um And I think I spoke to a lot of the industry around Bristol, pharmaceuticals, aerospace, Um, and aerospace was always appealing. Um, You know, growing up with it as a boy and uh, you can't see my aeroplane models on the camera. And uh, then um, uh, sort of later in life, uh, pursuing flying. Um, But just by sheer chance came across a company called Magnox. goodness what was it called at the time Magnox Electric it was at the time um, had an interview um had a job offer f- uh, from Magnox I think it was a couple of weeks later and um I think that's the best decision I've ever made whether I made it fully with my eyes open I don't know um but uh, the, the ramifications of it I still remember walking into the turbine hall basement at Oldbury power station when it was still operating and the sights the sound and I still remember the smell of the uh, what I found out later is turbine lubricating oil and that just that sheer sense of scale and power that's I thought yes that's that's what I want to do
0: those moments are amazing aren't they that they sort of make they stop you in your tracks and you realize this there's some connection somehow between you and what you're interested in and what you're seeing and hearing and feeling
1: that's you're dead right it's and, and you can't you can't explain it but when you relive the memory you can smell it you can see it you can hear it and you can you remember how you felt and uh, yeah that was definitely i think defining moment for me
0: yes and and then during that year in berkeley did it sort of confirm to you that you were making the right decision around the, your focus on on chemistry because then you went to warwick and you did a bsc in chemistry and industrial environmental chemistry um so was that sort of part of your journey and just confirming you're on the right track do you think?
1: Yes I think so um which is is strange because I I, I sort of uh, people I speak to now or or I I speak to and I used to look after um uh, I used to have a team of apprentices in my my group in a previous role and I always used to say, it doesn't matter if you try something and don't like it, that's just as valuable as trying something and finding out you do like it. It's just for me, that I think was, and as with everything in life, quite lucky that um, that worked out really well. And um, I was able to travel to Trusfenev and Dungeness, Barclay, Oldbury um, and uh, Sellafield to do some work. And uh, when you can see what you want to study and what you're interested in and how it applies in in the, i don't want to say the real world but how it applies practically is um is fantastic and i think that's definitely validation for, for for anybody whether that's that's what i want to do or no no that's that's not for me it's just as valuable i think
0: so you went to warwick um uh, to do your bsc so tell me how do you think you changed when you were at university as a person what did you learn about yourself do you think
1: i i was quite shocked at the change from school to university not living away from home having gone to boarding school and being in a family that sort of moved around so grandparents weren't down the road they were either in another country or they were five hours up the motorway um what struck me was the i I suppose it it, it fits in with the, the, the strictness and the rigidity from school to university is it's learn if you want don't learn but if you don't learn then you're out but I absolutely love the experience.
0: So then you you went to work uh, well you went on the graduate scheme at PowerGen so now you're staying in the power industry. Um, I'm interested with that what was it like I guess walking through the door on your first day looking smart and now a professional uh, but then also I'm interested in how that experience compared with your time at Barclay in the nuclear industry, because now you're in a different part of the power industry.
1: So I joined PowerGen's graduate scheme, which is now called uh, Uniper. It um, used to be Eon, and then now it's, it's Uniper. Uh, and that was at the Ratcliffe-on-Saw site in uh, Nottingham. Um, uh, and if anyone that's been up and down the M1, you can't miss it. Um uh, large cooling towers a big 2000 megawatt coal fired plant and i was attached to their power technology division it was about the time that a lot of the uh, fossil fire generators were looking at um, biomass co-firing and alternative fuels uh so uh, as a graduate i was um I was going out and helping with all sorts of things so we were doing performance uh, efficiency measurements on gas turbines steam turbines Um, we were doing coal sampling which is a a filthy job Uh, coal sampling on all manner of power stations which sadly are shut down now and uh, right to the top of the stacks of the plants for um, sampling of emissions so if we were firing a new biomass Um, we would have to assess everything from how it was handled as it came in, so Kings North Power Station, which sadly is demolished uh, now, would import coal from Rotterdam and the two colliers would unload it, Um, so we'd have to check how it was unloaded, how it would um, perform on the belts, the conveyors, how it sat in the bunkers and then was milled. Um, to burn coal, you, you pulverize it so sort of finer than talcum powder and blow it into the furnace like a jet. So we'd have to assess all that and uh, do all the sampling. And then you look at how the combustion performance in the boiler, so you'd be sat with the operators in the control room. Um, and then the lastly, see what the emissions, the effect on the emissions were, were at the back end. So uh, fond memories of standing at the top of the stack at Fiddler's Ferry. Uh, which I'm sure a power station you know well, um, and, and funny enough you see it from the Chadwick House, the, the, the Nairo um, head office. Um, and uh, I've never been so filthy in my life actually working on coal-fired power stations. You come back and you have ingrained um, a PF, you call it, pulverised fuel uh, ev- everywhere. Uh, but it's they are fascinating places. The scale, the sights, the sounds, uh, and the work is is, is phenomenal. The, the only reason I finished at PowerGen was that uh, a direct entry um, opening came about at Sizewell B power station in Suffolk, uh, which I applied for. And and tell
0: me a little bit about the different sort of culture within the two organisations.
1: I think by virtue just how the different technologies generate so with coal and gas, obviously saving every little bit you can on fuel is is key because fuel are a huge part of so over 50% of your costs, whereas on on nuclear, the emphasis is not so much on saving money on fuel, although that's a good thing you should but um, it's it's much more on the on the sort of safety culture and the nuclear safety aspects. Um, i also think what i found strange when i first started working at sizewell was the plant was always on so i'd come from if i was in the control room at king's north or ratcliffe power station for instance it you the national grid computer would constantly be chirping and operators would constantly be changing load or responding to demands and, and that was fascinating and to see just full power nice and steady output constantly in the control room uh, at Sizewell. it was amazing
0: because it sounds to me as if you know the the fascination with power generation and, and you know going back to your sort of first experience is something that's kind of almost a touchstone through through your career in a sense and maybe whichever organization you work with whatever the culture you adapt yourself to that culture because it's working in an area that you're just passionate about
1: to me if if you're not enjoying doing something stop doing it good grief um stop doing it um and as i say that's that's probably easy to say i I feel very privileged to you know to have been able to have done what i've done and be doing what i'm doing um but i I now use that for for everything that i do whether that's in work or private life is um i'm not enjoying that anymore I'll, i'll i'll stop uh, even sort of working in the offices or, or laboratories or elsewhere, um, certainly on the plants, to be able to put on your boiler suit and go and walk out and just walk a few things down. And uh, of course, that's encouraged on a nuclear plant to, to make sure everything's running smoothly and, and always looking for that sort of gap to excellence. Um, I miss it terribly now. I really do. It's, it's difficult to describe. I miss that connection with the plant. Um, I, I, i've since i i would say sort of working with people i found fascinating as well and and looking after a group or a team is is, is fascinating but i i do do miss a plant and when i get the opportunity to go out whether it's a visit or, or whatever it might be is um is 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 great I, i've recently taking up flying and um, I, I think that part satisfies the technical side of it but it's whilst it, it's just as interesting and i get a lot of enjoyment out of it it's not quite the same as as uh, working on a power station i think they're, they're fantastic people that work on them whether they're nuclear or fossil
0: um, mm. uh, yeah. that's right no it, it's a fascinating thing you say and actually you know within the current covid pandemic the fact that people are not you know walking through you know those sorts of facilities as frequently as perhaps they were because of restrictions and lockdown and all the rest of it it is there is an element of risk i guess that i mean that's how you get your finger on the pulse isn't it of an organisation or the people working in the organisation and if there's less of that you know there's a slight risk that you could become a bit detached you know a bit remote from that hands on operation of um, of those critical facilities
1: yeah so i think i think that is the case for for plant i, I i'm obviously with plans for coping with it and dealing with it and they're doing a fantastic job um de- dealing with all the demands of these particularly uh, reading some of the american plants of course are going through outage and some of the british plants going through outage and and my goodness that's a that's a a very involved time anyway and and to do that in the midst of a a covid pandemic just full of admiration uh, but i think it applies to people as well um so if, if you have a team of people you're looking after is to to spend that time to sort of walk around and have a chat and see, see how they're doing and what's what's um occupying them today what do they need help with and uh, just spending that time and taking that time to do that really pays dividends whether that's plants or people
0: so eventually you you from sizewell um and you've been you worked with horizon nuclear power for uh some time um uh, in anglesey um tell us a little bit about that time and particularly you spent Uh, You developed a lot of training there, particularly around the apprenticeship programme and that sort of thing.
1: So when I started, yes, it was owned by Eon and RWE, and I came in through uh, what we're calling the red route, um, Eon. So for those listening that aren't aware, Eon's corporate colours were red uh, and and RWE's was blue. So you either the red route or the blue route originally. Um, And it was a real that was a really tough decision. To leave Sizewell and the plant, and and why did I go? I, well, it, it it it's a tough one. I, I the draw, the allure of new build was quite quite something, and so I joined Eon, and the deal was I was going to go to Germany um, and work in Germany for a year, two years, at their headquarters in Hanover. So having said, I was absolutely terrible at um, languages at school. I, I, I was put on a German course and um, then had a tutor in Germany. But I developed a real affection and fondness for Germany and, and Germans. And uh, I was working on, at the time, uh, the, one of EON's new build projects was Horizon. Although it wasn't called that then. Uh, and the other project they were working on in Finland was Fennavoima. Um, which has also since subsequently been sold Um, and that was a fascinating time being involved in GDA for AP1000 and uh, and to a lesser extent TPR. I'd encourage anybody to consider working overseas Um, how you do it where you do it and for how long you do it I think it's completely up to you but if the opportunity comes go for it it was was phenomenal. Um, In the end I spent about a year um, in Hanover and then came back to uh, Horizon, which was um, uh, working out of new offices in Gloucester. Uh, now, at the time, uh, mum had retired to Gloucester, so uh, I, I, I knew Gloucester quite well. Um, and, and then from then on, uh, I spent uh, a few years in Gloucester and then moved up to the site uh, on Anglesey near, near Wilver. But, but during that time, I, I, I think I'd done so much varied and interesting work, everything from develop, helping to develop export control um, procedures and processes for Horizon to um, uh, GDA and licensing work to looking at what the company would need uh, in terms of operational um, work to uh, being on the evaluation team for, for uh, either an AP1000 or an EPR. Of course, it came as a bit of a shock to us, as I'm sure you know, that then um, uh, both parent companies decided to put the company up for sale and Horizon shrank quite, quite markedly at the time. Um, but uh, that that was a very interesting experience. So I was part of the sales team team there, and as, as everyone knows, that was was purchased by Hitachi. And don't ask me the date because I, I can't remember. But um, I'm sure if I looked it up, I'd remember. It seems seems like only yesterday. Um, so again, I, I for I think probably the first or maybe second time in my life, putting on a suit and standing on the uh, the underground in London was a was a bit of a shock to me. Um, uh, but that that worked very successfully, and then then latterly at, at Horizon uh, up at Wilver site, which um, I'd been coming up and down for about ten years, and then we made the decision to move up, must be about five years ago now. Uh, and I think at Anglesey, and you speak to people that live on the island, it's it, it really does it, it gets into your blood. You, it's it's it a really special place in our hearts so it's it's home for us now and neither of us have lived here before but it's home now Um, and uh, yes as you say uh, towards the the end of my time at Horizon working on helping to to look at setting up the operational utility what that might look like Um, I had a a group that looked after the training of the, the, the Horizon team and uh, looking to to what the training might might look like in the future. Uh, And as part of that, I had a fantastic opportunity. um, uh, Fantastic chap that I was working with by the name of Geroen, who um, set up our apprenticeship scheme. Um, And sadly, by the time uh, of the round of redundancies, we had 33 apprentices and um, that was quite something to set up an apprenticeship scheme from nothing. To, to one that, that had 33 through and we had quite some competition for uh, uh, for places on that scheme and it, it was just wonderful to see, I, I used to love the, the interview and the selection and assessment centre just to see how enthusiastic and um, how A reminder of how fascinating people are um you see it in interviews but when you're interviewing apprentices or I suppose for graduate schemes as well when you see a large volume of people coming through uh you really see those different personalities and those different temperaments and it's it's fantastic and having interviewed a few graduates as well and you you sort of know what you're looking for and looking at those behaviors those characters that stand out and uh, uh, it is great and it's a I think one of the proudest moments I've got was also it's a sort of double edge, really having having to make it's always horrendous having to make people redundant. Um, but I think one of the proudest moments of the team was getting all 33 apprentices into employment again afterwards. Uh, I think we literally signed the last con- signed the last contract um, two hours before we all left uh, for, for lunch, uh, final lunch. Um, and the sad thing about it is that two. Th- well again it's uh, depending on which angle you look at it really the sad thing for the island is that two-thirds have gone down to Hinkley Point um, to work with EDF now of course the good thing about it is that's fantastic EDF Energy what a fantastic firm what a fantastic project to be working for uh, and what a great opportunity um, but for the island and North Wales we, we've lost 20 23 of our of our young folk that have had to go out to find work um, uh, and then the other uh, the the other third have managed to find work um, locally
0: it sounds to me like during that time you were sort of turning your hand to lots of different things and it, it seems to me that you're not afraid of a challenge or of trying something that you've not done before is that fair how do you feel when somebody says we need you to lead this, and you've not done it before?
1: Uh, that that's it. that's um, that's very interesting because I would I would probably feel internally, and I suspect if you ask people, they wouldn't say this. I'm naturally quite a, a cautious, um, uh, shy individual, and I know that's probably not reflected in my external um, uh, external demeanour certainly at times um but I'm naturally quite shy naturally quite cautious about new things um so it can be a bit it gives you that little bit of nervousness but I think what I've found is that's that's a good thing I think if you go in there without a little bit of nervousness or or too much nervousness I suppose that that might sort of just throw you off but uh, Some things I've enjoyed more than others. Um, Other, um, so going back to graduate days at PowerGen, other suggestions for secondments were not a great winner for me, Um, purely in terms of it wasn't my thing. I I didn't really enjoy it, um, but necessary to go and do them. Uh, And other things, I think they had quite a job to get me to do something else because uh, I I really did enjoy what I was doing. And um, certainly I think when you're in a new build, would imagine it's similar for a startup is you have to turn your hand to everything um so we had a multitude of visitors at the site and you you, you know like a lot of people there you you quickly add tour guide to your repertoire Um, and i think you end up quite enjoying it as well Um, Well, that's
0: right and you also learn as, as we said before you learn what you enjoy and you learn what you don't enjoy and actually that teaches you something about yourself and your direction of travel. So I'm going to take you back to uh, perhaps as a youngster on one of those air bases in Germany. Um, and you could give yourself some advice at that age. What what do you think you'd whisper in your ear?
1: I, I think definitely the doing something that you enjoy is the key part. Um, and, and stick with it. I think if you can get yourself into a, a privileged position, which I think certainly I feel as, as, as I'm in and I think hopefully most of us are in, you can do that. You, you, you can do that. Uh, and if you put yourself in the constraints of all oh, that means getting another job. Yes, of course it does. But um, it, or it might do. So, uh, yes, be, be, be aware of that. I think the one thing I've learned that I've got old is never assume anything particularly as it comes to people never assume you know what somebody's motives for doing something are uh never assume uh never assume anything because you can come you i I won't say this is not it's not based on any personal experience of coming unstuck but um i think once you understand where somebody's coming from that that helps that relationship develop much quicker and it helps you uh, move things forward but I, I think if if you assume you think you know what those motives are then that can uh, lead to some uh, disconnects or you, you, you can't be as um, interactive as you like if I use, use that word never assume always try and find out
0: exactly and, and often if you don't understand somebody's perspective or actions often there's something that you don't know because there's probably a bigger picture
1: that's exactly right exactly right and you 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 may not be privy to all of it for whatever reason that might be um but that that might be as you say informing why somebody is uh, uh the way somebody operates and uh, just, just to understand that is fantastic because then all of a sudden you find you've got that you've either got that rapport or you understand why you don't have a rapport and that's fine
0: exactly exactly mark it's been great chatting to you thanks so much for your time this afternoon um a lot of good advice in that in that journey that you're still on and I uh, wish you all the best for the next steps on your journey wherever they may take you
1: well thank you it's been a real pleasure chatting to you too andrew
0: if you've enjoyed this podcast To help others enjoy it too, please subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. And don't forget to rate and review. Thank you.